Welcome in to the Free Retiree Show. We help you transform your life so you can become financially free. In this show, we'll give you the inside track on how to excel in your career, filter out the noise surrounding your finances to help you make smart financial decisions, and we'll learn from thought and business leaders who can help you live your best life. Thank you for tuning into the show. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy. I'm alongside Career Advisor, Sergio Patterson. What's up? Silicon Valley Attorney, Matt McElroy. What's going on? And today we have a very special guest in-house with us. We will be interviewing Dr. Dexter Hadley. This man is the Chief of Artificial Intelligence for the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. He was interviewed on Bloomberg the year ahead where he talks about big data and healthcare. He's been a keynote speaker at the Heidelberg Laureate Forum where he discussed the importance of AI, big data, and its impact on treating cancer. And in today's episode, Dexter is going to give us some insight into artificial intelligence, big data, precision medicine, and he's going to help all of us understand the key issues and questions surrounding this topic. So, Dexter, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Hi, great. Thank you, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. So, when Matt, Surgeon, and I started this show, one thing that we were really excited about was the fact that we get to interview either thought leaders or business leaders, and in this case... We have one of the leaders in AI, uh, and we have someone that's also an entrepreneur in that Dexter owns Hadley Laboratories. So not only are we going to get great insight into the world of AI and healthcare and what it all means for all of us, but we're also going to get some insight into uh, Dexter's entrepreneurial endeavors and his experience. Yeah, kind of how he's trying to change the game. Exactly. Much. But before we get started into that, if you haven't done so yet, please... Uh, share our show share us on facebook share us on linkedin we appreciate all the love and support if you have questions for us or if you have questions for dexter after this episode you can email us at ask at the dexter we are so excited to have you keynote speaker for the Heidelberg Glory Forum, been on Bloomberg, and now you've reached your pinnacle. You are on the Free Retiree Show, you made man. It, you made it, buddy. You made, made it. it. Let's Definitely. give let's give Dexter a, a round of applause. It's a real honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> so first off, man, you used to be in Silicon Valley. Now you're living out in Florida. Yeah. Tell us, how is it? What's the difference? Do you love it? I'm not broke. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice. <laughs> So you've been you've been listening to uh, Matt and Sergio in previous episodes just bitch about the <laughs> cost hey, of living here, right? Hey. No, it's uh, they're so valid concerns. It's facts. Silicon Valley is is astronomical. The price of living here. Well, and um, you got sunshine in Florida right now, right? Yeah, I mean the weather's nice now. Um, it gets hot, it gets humid. Mosquitoes are the worst part, but um, but the cost of living in Silicon Valley is astronomical. What part of Florida are you? Uh, Orlando. Yeah. Orlando, okay. The nice. magic part of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Disney World. That's right. Yeah, always happy. Nice. So, we got a question for you, man. You're the owner of Hadley Laboratories. You've uh, been at Stanford in pathology, right? Yeah. I'm You're uh, MD from Penn. Yep. You're... Uh, got a phd in genomics and computational biology from penn yep. you're you way have, too smart for this you have show. an msc <laughs> you have a msc which is a master's in science of engineering right that's right um so great question what the hell are you are you a doctor are you a professor <laughs> are you an engineer are you a mad scientist um confused <laughs> <laughs> 
but, but uh, constructively so, I guess. Um, so I, I, um, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, my mom is Indian, and she's like, "You're gonna be a doctor," and I, and I you know, <laughs> I never had a, a better option. But, but uh, I want to be a rock. <laughs> no, you be doctor. <laughs> but, uh, but at age ten, I literally taught myself how to program computers, and I was like, "Well, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life." Clearly, uh, but still had that doctor thing in the back of my mind. Um, got to med school and absolutely hated it. Wanted, you know, just it's just too much. I didn't like sick people. That was a problem if you wanted to be a doctor. Um, but I got to Penn, like you said, um, fantastic school. Um, where would I do computers at Penn? Definitely not in the med school. So I went to engineering school. That's why I have a master's in engineering. Uh, but then I figured out I'm not an engineer. Uh, one, I didn't speak Chinese. Uh, <laughs> 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 and two, I clearly did no engineering. <laughs> but I could program computers. Uh, so I took a master's from uh, from Penn because that was not going to work out, um, and then got into genomics, which was sort of biology, uh, the real sort of uh, coding of biology and the quantification of biology. And I was like, wow, this is great. Uh, so I thought I was going to do that. Um, um, finished med school. So was that what you fell in love with first? Well, that was quantification of medicine, which clearly was what, you know, the idea of computational medicine started to exist with things like genomics and, and how to compute. You know, you could compute physics, you could compute chemistry, but until genomics, you really couldn't compute biology. It was a descriptive science, like you know, you draw, you describe. Uh, so yeah, so genomics sort of just um, just the, the quantification of humans and and then sort of life was fantastic, and that's essentially computer code. Uh, so I fit in very nicely there. I was like the first um, student in the Penn Genome Bio, uh, Bioinformatics program uh, or computational biology program, and. Um, yeah, I did really well. I felt very, very comfortable and did really well. Uh, awesome. So, artificial intelligence. Obviously, you've been in it for quite a long time, but I feel like in society, over the last few years, it's being thrown around, right? And everyone's like, oh, artificial intelligence, augmented reality. Those are like the, feel like the hot topics, right? So, how do you feel about artificial intelligence, you know, what it means on the broad scale things, and what do you think about it in healthcare? Um, I think AI is huge. It's sort of the next industry, like um, the industrial revolution. I think we're living in the data, let's say, revolution, and AI is sort of the action part of data. Um, I think historically, AI, sort of what we think about today, has been around from the 50s, like well described theoretically. Um, and, you know, when I give my talks, I say, you know, think of a, a line, which is pretty much what most of statistics is based on. Uh, uh, equation of a line is Y equal MX plus B or C, depending on your upper American uh, education. And, you know, with two lines, you can, with two dots, you could draw a line, find the slope and the Y-intercept and predict for any X, any Y. All right, so the, the, the AI that they envisioned in the 50s, there's so many parameters, you know, it's not two, it's not an intercept and a slope, it's... It's hundreds of, it's more, it's millions, billions of parameters. So you need billions of points of data. Um, so in the 50s and 60s, that sort of was just theoretical. But today, you have billions of points of data with, with you know, everything is digital. And we have the, you know, highly parallelized GPU compute to process it. So AI is real. And clearly, if I go look for a dog and cat on Google Images, there's 10 million dogs and cats. That's AI. And, but if I go look for, a, you know, invasive breast carcinoma, it's questionable what I get returned in in um, in on Google Images. Dex Dexter, do you think there's a part of American society that's scared of AI and that's potentially slowing down the progress? 
of how we can kind of leverage it in all these different areas and uh yeah sure i mean there's politics around coal and you know electric there's politics around ai and, and not ai of course um but you know i think the digitalization of humanity is inevitable and the um AI is sort of inevitable to, to deal with the digitization. I mean, I think, I think if you think about um, our human brains, we can't think in the level of dimensions. You know, how much, how much, uh, how many pixels can a pathologist, uh, looking at a digital pathologist, library responsible for? There's four billion pixels on there, and I'm medically legally responsible for every single one. That's inconceivable. It's not, it's not tractable in the future of medicine. Uh, so you know, we have to rely on AI, at least in medicine and probably in other fields, um, to push our, our human understanding is just quite limited, uh, quite frankly. So with AI, that le opens the door to precision medicine? Yeah, precision medicine is a buzzword that was thrown around in genomics days. Um, part of my um, precision medicine is meaning, you know, I, I hurt my arm here. Um, I take Tylenol. Tylenol is safe. Ibuprofen is safe. But we don't actually know how these drugs work. There's no precise mechanism. We just know it's safe, it works generally, and it relieves my pain. Precision medicine, you know, at the end of Penn, I found a drug for ADHD where I figured out with genetics a defect in the neuropsychiatric pathway, found a drug to precisely treat that defect. That was what the idea of precision medicine was. Um, I was very lucky. I think it's been a lot more hype than, than action and, and sort of uh, reality in precision medicine, but the idea still holds that we want to precisely treat um, disease as opposed to just roughly class everybody as this red, yellow, or, or green. I think there's there's a thousand different hues now that we're treating. And that, that's essentially, it's a data-driven medicine, is precision medicine. Um, you know, so I think genomics is great. You know, what I learned in engineering school, we have three billion base pairs in our, in, in our body. So for genomics to really become an engineering um, system, we need three billion data points, which we don't really have, right? Not for genomics. We, mm -hmm. don't, have, we don't have three billion with their people with their genome sequence. What we do have is three billion mammograms, three billion, you know, we have hundreds of millions of other data points that have now become um, um, computable, let's say, in medicine. And that's sort of where I think AI is headed. Uh, genomics is just the first of the big data, but there's electronic medical records, there's imaging, there's radiology, there's pathology. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we're headed. So right now, UCF wanted you to come out to Florida, take you, pluck you out of the Silicon Valley, what are, you, what are you doing out there for them? You're, so you're the chief of artificial intelligence from yeah. what I understand, but what does that entail? Um, a lot of self-promotion for sure. <laughs> 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 well, it's kind of like, you know, people go into medicine because they're not engineers. They're not quantitative. They're, they're doctors. They want to help people and treat people. And, you know, um, so there's a huge divide, I think, in where medicine is headed and people like me who happen to find themselves very um, in tune um, with data and programming. Um, and UCF and most of medicine ha hardly has any idea what to do with the stewardship data that technology is generating. We know AI is important, but to find people trained as an engineer, trained as a physician, um, and trained in sort of the practical applications is, is, is damn near impossible. One, because if you could do that, Google and Facebook would hire you for a lot more money than UCF pays me, or a drug <laughs> company, a lot more. You know, so Google find, and Facebook. Uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, so, so, so I just 
happened to find myself in this niche and happened to think AI is important. And I happened to say, I think you guys should do this. With, with, and they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why should doctors and patients care about AI? Um, I think, you know, it's pretty clear data and AI and privacy and, and you know, honestly, fake news is, is, is our reality um, in, in non-medical things. And I think medicine is a little bit protected because of the laws and the privacies, and, uh, but the same arguments hold, I think. Um, um, there's so much data moving forward and sort of the way medicine is gonna be practiced in the future has to be more data-driven just because um, th that's, you know, that's kind of how society is, just more and more efficient, do more with less, capitated healthcare versus um, very expensive healthcare is sort of coming. Um, and you know, if if uh, people have to be part of that equation, like the big part of AI is a feedback loop, and the feedback is the patient. Um, and I think that's very different to how medicine has been practiced before. I mean, you know, medicine used to be top down; HMOs decided, and uh, um, insurance companies decided, and, and at some point, doctors decided. Um, I think we're getting to a stage where, you know, um, uh, there's so many apps, there's so many personalized data, so many recommendations coming from apps. Uh, doctors have no idea how to incorporate that into their learning. Um, and there's just a huge wide open field of data in medicine and how to personalize it. You know, I think the idea of computational health is, you know, as opposed to um, computational medicine, I think computational health, how to quantify your health is the future. Um, so I think everybody is going to be interested in, 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 uh, in AI and in healthcare, just like everybody has become interested in Facebook, everybody's become interested in Google. Um, I just think we don't have equivalents of Facebook and Google in healthcare, and I want to build them. Um, yeah, you mentioned the future, right? So I'm curious, with AI comes automation, right? So in, in some cases, like you're thinking about automating truck drivers and retail jobs. Yeah. Is there a scenario where AI in healthcare can automate some yeah. of the work that doctors do? Yeah. To make it more precise? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, let's go back to this equation of the line. So AI needs big data, meaning you need a lot of examples. Except medicine, if you think about it, most of medicine is negative. Most of what doctors do is not the outliers. It's regular cold, regular. Or, 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 you know, as a pathologist, you sit and look at cytology and 200 are negative. 200 mammograms are negative. So that negative aspects, triaging the cases, you know, you get 10,000 cases coming in, only 200 doctors should probably look at. So that, that, that triage is where I think computers can help. Why? Because there's much more negative data, right? Which means as a physician, I don't have to look at stuff that, that's monotonous. Um, you know, physicians don't learn except in the positive cases. There's something called tumor board, tumor board in, um, in cancer care where the, the docs, like the whole multidisciplinary team sits and looks at the outlier cases, the hard cases. Um, I think AI should be in a position to, you know, to select these cases that the AI doesn't know the answer to, quite confidently doesn't know the answer to, um, and learn from the human. I think that that system is missing in medicine. I think Elon Musk and, and these characters have figured out how to do it for, um, for, for autonomous driving, but autonomous medicine is way off. I think a human um, license is always going to be on the line. This idea of autonomous medicine is nonsense. Uh, but precision, you know, <laughs> computers bringing that level of precision where I don't have to look at a thousand negative scans to, you know, focus in on one. I just need to maybe look at 200. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes sense from a, from 
all aspects, right? You mentioned Elon. I'm I'm still waiting on my Tesla, by the way, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> Wait time is terrible. Yeah. I'm yeah. angry. We can have a whole segment on Tesla and how terrible the experience has been so far. No, if you want to talk about Elon Musk, this is what... That's what Elon, you know, so autonomous driving is what basically a Tesla is seven, six or seven cameras, you know, um, very varied conditions and 99% of which the Tesla can navigate fine. It's that 1% that's stopping the level four, level five, level whatever automation. And what are they doing? They're essentially going, driving billions and billions of miles, collecting data from this network, looking for these outliers. Where did that Tesla crash into this semi? That's what I want to do in medicine, right? So build a system where medicine runs the negatives and sort of the triage is done, the grunt work of medicine is done by computers, which is quite boring, you know? Leave, let doctors use their human capacity to find those hard cases. And, 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 and that's how I think AI is going to work. And we're, you know, we're billions of miles away from that reality. <laughs> billions of miles, so like years, like what in do you our, think? In America, I think we're very far away from that reality. We don't even know how to communicate between healthcare institutions in America. So you couldn't even put a year or timeline on it? You just Decades timeline. Decades. Oh, that's well, look at it. You know, genomics has been around for 20 years, um, and I can state relatively confidently the practice of medicine has hardly changed in 20 years, despite you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding um, from the citizens. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's a lot of hype. It's much like the startup world, you know? It's exactly like the startup world, just with much more rigor. Um, where it's 99% of things fail, ideas fail, and you know that it's it's really hard to change the status quo. So how do we change? It? Is there a way to change it in the United States? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, well, here's the problem in the United States with with AI, right? Um, um, United States is capitalist healthcare, which means for many many years, and we have privacy laws. So you know, with Facebook and with with Google the laws on, on consumer privacy are just not clear. We've had HIPAA, which is a privacy law on patients since the 80s. So we've had, you know, so companies have been fined for exposing patients' data, you know, millions of dollars since the 80s. So what do they do? They don't expose patients' data. They don't share the data um, because they don't want to be fined and because they want to protect their patients' data. So that kind of stifles in innovation, but it's very capitalist, right? If they want to share the data, you pay big money to share the data. Um, that I think that idea and that sort of mindset, that sort of um, archaic and, and old school mindset, is not going to work in the future because now data is money. Now you can um, benefit. You know, if you can screen, if your doctors can work, you know, eighty percent less, they can be eighty percent more effective. <laughs> you can true. make eighty percent more mm -hmm. money, right? So yeah. it doesn't make sense to offer like that moving forward. We want to share the data because who owns the data? The patients own the data, and I think. I think uh, in, a, in a capitalist society like America, the only way to make data flow is not through companies who are incentivized to not share the data. Why would I share my data as one healthcare institution with another? That you're just going to leave my healthcare institution money is flowing out of my, and then risk you know getting fined for privacy. I, I won't, but if um, I can improve my efficiencies, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40%, that's millions of dollars, I will share my data then. And the way to get that to happen is, is what HIPAA says. HIPAA says, as a patient, I own my data. I want patients to own their data and share it with whomever they want. In fact, I want patients to sell it. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Can I, is that where you're getting to? Like, I'm, yeah. I own my data, I can sell it to... Yeah, well, we're not China. China yeah. has all the data they could ever want on everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. England is kind of intermediate, they're socialized, but you know, medicine in America, data flow of, of uh, in medicine in America is capitalist and relatively 
um, siloed is the word to use. The way you break through that is, is, is capitalist. You let patients donate their data, share their data, and empower them um, and sell their data, ultimately. So you, I saw that, or you, as you've been talking about a little bit right now, you've talked about you know mammograms and, and breast cancer and things like that, but you also focus on skin cancer as well. Well, right? I, I focus on, well, remember, I want big data. Why? Because these, these algorithms are complex. You need a lot of data points. So, you know, skin, skin cancers, there's a lot of skin cancer. It's easy to get data for skin cancer. Mammograms are probably the best system to work in. Again, why? Because there's a lot of mammograms. Mammograms is a 10 billion with a B dollar, dollar industry. Um, the FDA regulates mammograms. There's 40 million mammograms run a year in America. The FDA regulates every single one. And it's the only system like that in healthcare where there's, I know how much data is there. It's easy to get 1% of the mammograms, just ask. And that's you know, 4 million mammograms. Um, you know, so there's a lot of reasons I work with mammograms, and the precision, you know, one in four breast cancers are missed on mammogram. Are you kidding? One in four? Or missed. Why? Because mammograms are so common, you know, to find that one in four that are missed, you need a, a few million mammograms because mammograms are so common, less than 1% are positive. That's what I mean, the huge negative um, aspects of medicine computers should help with so we can focus in on, on the positives. So the more data, the better the technology is going to get. In today's day and age, yes. Maybe 10 years ago, you didn't need hundreds of millions of data points. Today, you do. Um, and AI could improve that one in four number theoretically, right? Presumably, AI can pick cats and dogs that better than humans, meaning yeah. um, if, you s if you submit to Google Images a low resolution picture of a cat or dog, Google's going to pick more often the right answer than a human. Yeah. Or, I mean, obviously, they make less mistakes, no fatigue. Yeah, but it's a function of, you know, Google had hundreds of millions of well-labeled cats and dogs, and, uh, and that's what we need to get to in medicine. Yeah, when, I, when I was uh, researching about you before you came on, I, I saw that you had a, an app, I don't know if it's actually out or anything yet, but called Skin ID, where you can actually use your smartphone. Or Skin to IQ? To, or Skin IQ, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, to uh, actually go and, you know, screen for skin cancer, which <sighs> I think is a, an amazing idea. Yeah, um, yeah, so I mean, my, so I'm, I'm actually in academia, which is an interesting place to be. Um, because I, you know, I, I operate like an entrepreneur, uh, meaning, you know, entrepreneurs write grants, essentially, they ask venture capitalists for money. And, you know, it's a pretty rigorous process. Uh, and they get large sums of money for proposing an idea. I do the same thing with the National Institutes of Health. NIH is a $36 billion operation. That's $36 billion of venture, essentially. The difference is I don't have to report. It doesn't have to work in academia, right? <laughs> there is no, that, I mean, uh, you, you know, the buck stops with me. There is no other VC to continue with. Uh, so what you see with me is, is kind of like that. You see, you know, the idea first is, all right, let's diagnose skin cancer. That's a terrible idea for a company. What happens if you miss the skin cancer? You know? Liability. It's a lot of liability. Huge liability. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to, you know, so you realize this. Um, beyond that, where am I going to get a million pictures of, of the way you diagnose skin cancer is, um, um, it's a biopsy, you know. Cancer is an interesting field, so you can look at stuff with radiology, look at stuff with your eye, but it's a it's a pathology diagnosis, which is pretty cool. So the labels are very clear for cancer, um, you know. But if I wanted to use my iPhone to diagnose skin cancer, I think doctors look at thirty negative moles before one is is melanoma. Yeah, I saw that. Just, just something like that. You know, computers could get it down to ten demonstratedly. You know, but to really do that, you need a few hundred thousand pictures of biopsy confirmed moles, both positive and negative. Nobody has an iPhone with that amount of, so getting that data is a problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, so besides that, besides the liability, melanoma is just, it's not happening for app. What, what Skin IQ has turned into is, you know, we've kind of spun out the IP. 
um, acne, right? So, you know, there's no FDA, there's no drug, but there's five stages of acne, and we use the phone to classify same algorithms, acne into stage one, two, three, four, five, and then um, based on the stage, you predict uh, treatment, uh, you can even sell the treatment online. Uh, you can sort of network if this works and, you know, kind of build upon acne, which there's no FDA, there's no regulation, there's no liability. Um, That's a big market, too. Think of, like, proactive. Yeah, and yeah, yeah but I think I, stuff, yeah. all that stuff's garbage, yeah. but they make... Yeah. Well, they, they, they charge they a lot, so right? so much I mean, money. Yeah, they're not, yeah. They're not yeah. cheap. Yeah. So, so essentially, my job is to come up with these ideas, uh, you know, um, and, and, part, and start my own companies, of which I'm not executive or anything. I'm just usually an advisor because there's conflicts of interest. So, you know, I study skin cancer. I don't have to, it does not have to work. It doesn't have to be a success, but the IP influences other companies that have nothing to do with my work <laughs> um, that I advise for. So one thing I wanted to get into, when one of the my favorite interviews of you is when you were at the Heidelberg, uh, Heidelberg. Glory Forum. Heidelberg. That was pretty cool. You have to understand what Heidelberg is. There's no Nobel Prize for computation. It's like you know medicine and science and biology and this and that. But not Heidelberg is like the Nobel laureate for um, computational stuff, computer science. Yeah, and yeah. I, so you were on that stage, which I know is yeah. high up there yeah. in that field. But you brought up a really interesting point. You were talking about the data on the mammograms at UCSF. I think you said that there was about roughly a million that they had in their database. But what was interesting is you looked at year by year the mammograms that they had and i think you said around 2006 2005 yeah. prior to that time there was no data yeah. so and, can you give yeah. us a little bit on the what, what why there was what happened to the data yeah so i mean it's, it's, it's um it's it's a good example why i think ai is necessary for the future because you know technology is independent of the medicine, so to speak. So, um, you know, so before there was digital radiology, there was film radiology. And before 2006, with with, uh, with breast radiology, mammograms, um, everything was done on film at UCSF. Um, you know, by law, you have to keep medical records, I think it's seven years for statute of civil liability or criminal liability or whatever. So, so you have to keep the, the data for so long. But after seven years, you know, you got a room full of mammograms um, you know, on film, it becomes quite expensive to keep it secure and locked. Um, and then beyond that, the you know, for, so for whatever reason, um, after the seven years ran out of those films and they had switched to digital, they could have digitized all of the media. Uh, that would cost money. There was no real reason to in 2012, which is six or seven years after all the the, the, the statute runs out. Um, they essentially threw it away they, uh, and, and lost all of that data. Um, you know, you know. Fast forward ten years, we have all this AI now. Data yeah. is money. Uh, it's just a shame. I mean, they they weren't thinking about AI back then, right? Uh, like well, nobody. If yeah. you, you know, think about it from a from a, a, a um, just a, the cost standpoint to store rooms full, you know, decades full of of uh, film is expensive, and you don't have to do it. Why would you do it without a good reason? Um, so you know, it's just a, it's just an example of how you know hindsight is twenty twenty. I think uh, in the future we should never throw away any data. Data is important for you know not not just medicines, but the operation of medicine, the commerce of medicine, the whatever. I think uh, you know b building platforms to capture and study and ultimately teach computers how to uh, how to do things we want them to do. I think is the future, and that's kind of what I do at uh, at UCF in Florida now, University of Central Florida. So how expensive is it to hold on to the, the data? Because like, they threw it away because it was probably 
It's expensive, right? Well, what they could, what they should have done was digitize it and store it on a on a cloud somewhere for pennies. Um, um, because that data today, they can sell it for millions of dollars today. Today, if you know, they could have certainly um, had a, a massive return on their investment. Had so, they. why would they get rid of it though? Um, security. You can't lose it if you get rid of it. Who knows? I mean, there are many reasons why you 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 get rid of it. Um, but they got rid of it, and uh, and that's a shame. I assume it was at that point it was a cost. My, my assumption is like of course it's a cost. It was a cost. Of course it's a cost. That was store. probably top of mind for them. It was yeah. too much a store. A cost, security, privacy. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I think privacy would be a big. Privacy is a big one. I've got a question about cancer in general, and the, you may not be able to answer it. Like, I feel like lately everyone I know is impacted by cancer. I don't know if this is like a recency bias or like in your experience. Like, I feel like why why is it so wise, widespread, and like have we made like my my grandma passed of breast cancer back in the eighties, and I feel like people are still impacted by the same. Yeah. I'm wondering like when is the big transformation going to happen, and is it like a a fight against <laughs> capitalism? Like there's it's a big business, uh, the medication with cancer. Like, is there a cure out there? Um, I think I think can- cancer is a uniquely special disease. Um, meaning there's probably no other disease that has been studied as much, no other disease has been funded more. There's a whole National Institutes of Cancer that's one of the largest um, allocations of NIH budget. Um, and from a, you know from the 80s to now, mammograms have definitely saved lives. Absolutely, you know, millions of lives. The drugs, the new drug discoveries have definitely saved lives. Uh, so cancer is a success story. Um, I'm sure for individual patients that may not be so, but um, AIDS is a, success, is a success story, cancer is a success story. All of these big, big, let's call them moonshots, have worked. Immunization is a success story. Um, cancer is right up there. Wait, should we immunize our kids? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I wish, dude, measles is <laughs> back. Just kidding. I'm just measles kidding. Is I don't back. want to be that idiot. <laughs> I'm actually immunizing mine later today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matt, please Good do for you, it man. Good for you. I'm just kidding. I know wait, wait, actually, dude, not to get too off topic, what do you have to say to those parents that don't? Fake news. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, seriously, like the the. So this is why I'm into blockchain because blockchain guarantees veracity of information, right? It mm-hmm. guarantees the truth, whatever the truth is. Dem- democratic um, data, I guess, is where when we get to blockchain, and 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 blockchain is supposed to help against these kind of th- th- these kind of phenomena where just extremely viral fake news is whatever some emotional argument somebody's making has nothing to do with science and and and. Uh, you know, imagine if people faked the results of their mammogram, right? I mean, imagine how detrimental that could be to an AI system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mammogram, how is that different? You know, it's a bunch of pixels, a bunch of ones and zeros. There's no different to a new story, you know. I think, you know, we can get into blockchain, but I think blockchain is critical for the future of this world. Um, and I think moving forward. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, measles is back. There was a measles outbreak at, at on campus at Facebook. What? And really? Yeah, somebody had measles. Yeah. Somebody was traveling, and they and they, oh, actually, they got it from another. I got an email. Hey, there was Syphilis a measles outbreak. I mean, measles is a hundred-year-old <laughs> disease. <laughs> so, what can patients do to help against the fight of cancer, the fight of disease? Is there something that they can do, uh, you know, to help? Um, absolutely. I think um, I think what I would like to get, and, and sort of what I, what's becoming clear. Um, to me is that patients have all the power in America. 
the law HIPAA gave patients the power, meaning patients control their data, they can decide who sees their data. I think more so than what can patients do, I think doctors in the age of digital medicine have failed our patients, right? You work for Facebook, Facebook is awesome, you know, two billion people use Facebook. Name one app to do with healthcare medicine that two billion people use. Whose fault is that? Is it Facebook's fault? No, Facebook's not a medical company. It's a doctor's fault. Like, there's no concept of digital anything. <laughs> there's not taught in med school. Um, you know, so so I think patients are willing and able. Patients have all the power. We as physicians have failed our patients because there's just no digital representation of anything in medicine. It's very old school. We still use fax machines, right? Sixty percent of. Um, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, I understand. You know, I think of medicine like the army, meaning, you know, to get a drug approved is, you know, two, three billion dollars. It's this indication. It's very protocolized. And to change it costs money. Um, that's not going to work in the age of apps and AI, right? That whole mindset has to change. Um, um, because if you think about the army, the army's kind of like that too, but the army's very modern, right? So why can't medicine be like more like the army or, or more like the armed services? Um, and I think it's just because there's a huge divide by the engineers that can speak Chinese. Uh, and the people that go to med school, <laughs> and China, huh? And Chinese. What's, what's becoming quite clear, That's right, buddy. <laughs> you know, and what's becoming quite clear, you know, I started out saying my mom was an Indian. Uh, I went to med school for all the wrong reasons. That's the only reason I went to med school. There's a ton of people like that today, and they all want to do deep learning, and they hate, you know, the practice of medicine and sort of the the drudgery of medicine. And sort of my lab is trying to find these people. So that's a real thing. Like, like your parents ingrained, like, hey, be a doctor, be a doctor. I've, I, I've heard it's like a running joke in the. I mean. Not, not really. I mean, I'm only half Indian. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's not, I mean, but I never had anything better. I never had a better aspiration. And the computer thing worked. And they're like, yeah, that's great. Go do that. I mean, I guess it could be worse. <laughs> you know, doc, doctors are pretty good field. The problem, is, the problem is when all your eight aunts and uncles are, are doctors. What do, what do you expect you're going to be? <laughs> and you get into med school and you hate it like me. Yeah. And you're good at whatever. So I they mean, crush your dreams like. Someone we know, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, full circle here. Yeah. We're yeah. Full circle. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. I mean, but the beauty is, I mean, it's very clear to find talent. Like, they're very smart people in med school that want to do stuff like this. It's not, and patients want to help. Everybody wants to contribute. Um, there's just so much to be done. Um, and there's no money. You know, in academia, you know, somebody like me can go make a lot of money. Not in academia. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I try to build opportunities for kids coming up like me that you know that 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 skin iq a 19 year old kid what that wanted to go to med school wrote about that in his personal statement i mean that abhishek sap <laughs> well, uh, you know that's more important than if it ever works ever <laughs> that he got into med school <laughs> so. so what's been your biggest professional challenge is it you did tons of school yeah. you also are running this lab and you're going yeah. around the world you're you're basically iconic in the field of ai like what's been the hardest part of this whole journey um influencing medicine is really difficult um it's changing the status quo making things the feedback loop of this ai thing is almost impossible in medicine and certainly beyond my capacity um you know we know we have algorithms that can improve breast cancer screening already how do you actually implement that into a health system and demonstrate that it works is very difficult. Um, and one of the reasons I, I moved to Florida is Florida's brand new, you know, 
UCSF is fantastic. It's number one in NIH funding, top breast cancer specialist at UCSF, top prostate cancer, top everything is at UCSF. And the problem is, you know, I think my thing is interesting, but it's nothing compared to what these people are doing. Uh, you know, and, and like uh, small fish in a big pond. Exactly. And the biggest pond is, is UCSF. Uh, you move to Florida, the hospital's not even built. It's going to get an open next year. There is no, there's nobody. Um, and the opportunities, you know, there's the Stanford, there's the UCSF, there's the IVs. Um, you know, that's 80% of medicine is not in these facilities. It's in places like UCF. Um, it's in places like, you know, middle of nowhere. Um, so I find that an interesting opportunity. I think um, I'm very excited about the opportunity. And, um, and uh, you know, and we'll, and we'll see. We'll see how much um, we can actually impact um, the delivery of medicine and sort of the, the healthcare of the population with this, with these ideas. So your upbringing, I mean, you've come to be this physician, doctor in AI engineer. Uh, how did that start? Like, where did you come from? Do you think that had a factor in, obviously you said your mom and your family kind of pushed yeah. you in one direction. Yeah. I'm from Trinidad, um, born and raised, um, went to, Went to high school in Trinidad. Um, all of the women in my family are nurses, which is kind of how it is. <laughs> um, my dad was a hospital administrator, met my mom in the hospital. So, you know, so hospitals and sort of healthcare, I've been very much in tune with it. You know, ne like I said, never had a better um, aspiration than being a doctor. Um, honestly, th this all became very real when um, my parents bought a computer for my brother at, you know, 89. He couldn't care less. <laughs> and I picked this thing up and just destroyed it, like 10 years old. And I'm like, wow, this is, I don't think I was good at anything. I don't think I'm good at anything except computers. <laughs> and I kind of stuck with that, you know. So I've been doing this for what? I'm 41. It's 30, for 31 years, I've been doing computers in medicine. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's divine. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's it's worked out. I thought it was a good idea thirty years ago. I'd say it's worked out for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, quite well. I mean, the problem is there's no mentors. There's, you know, there's few people that you can kind of. Um, you really have to believe in yourself. I mean, you really have to have good conviction in yourself. And I and I agree with that from listening to your show. I think um, to make it in Silicon Valley, you really have to believe something that nobody else believes and believe it more than than you know. Make that your gospel. And I think you'll be fine. Yeah, Deep, so that sounds that. like you're leading yeah. the charge in that field. Yeah. Well, I mean, medicine, I mean, the way I look at it, you know, there's 185 medical schools in America. Right? They they put out all of the doctors. How many medical startups do you think there are doing AI? There's thousands. They're all going to fail. Why? Because it's not real medicine, right? I mean, <laughs> why are the people that have, you know, that have regulated medical education, there's step one, step two, step three, you know, clinical trials are regulated, everything is regulated. And the people that are building these models are not in that system. And, and they're just not. Why are medical schools that are training human intelligence not training artificial intelligence to complement that human intelligence? You know, so a medical student today does not look in a microscope to do microbiology. Um, they do not look at film to do radiology, uh, you know, a resident. But, but, you know, there's no platform like Elon Musk has to go train autonomous driving, to go train autonomous medicine. 
I mean, I, you know, I could do this for the next 30 years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it does not have to work, but it's so obvious and it has been done. You know, just go look up cats and dogs on Google. It must work. <laughs> uh, so all, all these startups, they probably have gonna amazing fail. ideas, but they're just going to fail because they're not. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's divisions within all the tech companies I've worked at just focused yeah. on trying to the next big idea. Yeah. 99% of 99% them are going to fail. Of course they're going to fail. Because it's not real medicine. Like The yeah. place medicine is taught, I think, should be the cradle of artificial you know, intelligence yeah. medicine. And, and, and UCF thought so, too. So, so we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Hey, Dexter, I got a quick question. Uh, you mentioned your mother earlier. So I think she's battling a disease, right? Uh, all, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. So my, Alzheimer's. my grandfather's battling dementia. Yeah. Terrible disease. Yeah. Destroys yeah. the brain. It's, it's yeah. awful. I'm curious if with the work that you're doing, can that be applied to, to any disease? It's ironic. Yeah. So last year we were one of the top. So there's this um, conference called RSNA, the Radiological Society of North America. And RSNA is where all the, cl- uh, the radiologists go. And last year we were all over RSNA because we trained a deep learning algorithm to predict Alzheimer's six years earlier. Uh, kind of. Right. So UCSF is, like I said, number one in everything. They run something called, you know, there's an MRI and there's an MRI with, um, um, PET scan. So a PET scan is a metabolic scan. So they inject glucose or some tracer into your body. Super high tech. Nobody runs this stuff except UCSF. Uh, and what we indeed were able to do is show that looking at this very specialized imaging that only UCSF has, we could find this six years earlier than was clinically indicated in the chart using AI, which is freaking phenomenal, right? So that was all of our SNA. Is it going to help my mom? No, because she doesn't. She doesn't even have an FDG pet. Nobody has this stuff. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the idea, and it was just so ironic. And I talked about my mom, and uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I um, I you know, it's uh, Alzheimer's is quite a disease. It's quite a. That's the hardest part of my life. Is is definitely helping to take care of my mom. Trying to figure out my mom. Are all you the, like the primary? Yeah, that's why I moved to Florida. Um, You know, I mean, things happen for a reason, but I don't regret it at all. Yeah, Yeah, my mom's dealing with that now. She's like the primary. She works full time and then like has to. Yeah, there there was no plan. We had no plan. Um, And, you know, my my dad does not have. My dad is old, too. He's in a nursing home. Fine. No problem. But this Alzheimer's thing, there's no solution. You can't just. It doesn't go away. There's uh, there's no solution. Yeah, it's tough. So. You have uh, this great professional career, yeah. but on the other side, I've heard you're single dad, right? Three, three daughters. Three daughters, yeah. What's harder, being a, being the being the dad, yeah. or what you're doing in the professional field? Uh, my personal life is much more difficult than my professional. <laughs> life. I go to work. Uh, I, I used to go to work, you know, to sort of get away from my personal life, but uh, but work is a lot of fun for me. Yeah, being it's home works. is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work is yeah. like a vacation. Yeah, yeah. I w- I would do this for free. I would absolutely do what I do for free, um, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely can't. Yeah. So, what motivates you about this field? Like, what is it that Me? would make you do it for free? Um. One, you know, like I mean, I've always wanted to be a doctor, except I, I hated sick people. But this allows me to be a doctor and potentially impact more people than I can ever dream of impacting. You know, one patient at a time. So, so it kind of fits together in a weird way. And um, you know, it's it's nice being right sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, academia is not the real world, right? I mean, I've been in like I'm 41 years old. I'm still in school, except 
um, on creating knowledge in school, which is a, a very nice position to be in, a powerful position to be in. Um, I don't think I will ever not be in school. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine retiring. Why would I retire? It doesn't make any sense. This is too much fun. So what's the next big project for I, Dr. Dex? For me? Um, so Florida is an interesting um, opportunity. Like I said, you know, the Stanfords and the, the Pens and the Harvards, it's maybe, you know, 10% of the U.S. population is treated in these places. Florida is real community medicine. Florida is part of the largest for-profit healthcare network, which is Health Corporation of America. There's 185, you know, tens of millions of patients and the next you know nih is fine and academia is fine but there's real medicine gains to be made in you know for for tens of millions of patients in america and i'm very um um excited to be a, a conduit to that kind of space and, and very I, I mean that's huge uh, in terms of the data in terms of the possibility this is as close as we're going to get to um to china i think <laughs> is is in this kind of role uh, so, so i'm very excited about what is possible in the future you just mentioned china again China's, China's number one. China's number one. <laughs> yeah, China's wow. In terms of AI, China is to be watched. Yeah, you. May, we were talking earlier off, off like when we weren't recording. Um, some of the regulations that are impacting uh, United States versus China, and it's. I think it's easier because there's no expectation of pri- like. Some of, can you talk to that a little bit? Well, like take how, the million. Take the million mammograms I had at UCSF. They were collected over ten years. They were there medical legally you have to keep them for at least seven eight years except nobody knew how many of those were positive how many of those were negative how many of those were missed cancer how many of those were turned out well turned out nobody knew anything about them They're, they were just there and used for that patient maybe brought into court, court if somebody was sued so it's the only use for that data but it's been there for, for for 10 years i guarantee you england knows exactly how many of those mammograms are positive negative you know, computers are useless without these labels. Yeah. The, the AI is useless. China most definitely knows. And will go collect whatever data they want from whomever they want to do whatever outcome they're looking for. That's and right. there's nothing to stop them. <laughs> and, Flex and, on people. And the expectation of privacy is nil. And that's how it is. Uh, who do you think is going to win <laughs> in terms of, 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 it's not even possible. And they've already won, right? I mean, they're already winning. In terms right? of tech, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Makes absolutely. Sense. In terms of everything, I mean, Alibaba is bigger than Amazon. I mean, WeChat is bigger than WhatsApp. I mean, there's a billion people. Like, how do you compete with that? I mean, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, it's an interesting perspective. I think. I think we should be. We are totally not considering this. Uh, at least in medicine, nobody's considering this in medicine. So, for people that want to learn more about what you're doing, where can they find out more information about your lab and uh, your projects? Well, I'm sorry, Google. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're on Google, huh? <laughs> apparently. Um, yeah, so Google, just Google my name, Dexter Hadley. But um, I have, and it's actually not. This is, you know, academia is not for profit. So, so, so Hadley Lab is um, um, an academic laboratory. Um, HadleyLab.org is my website. We kind of like to list all the press. You know, we give all the. Um, the research that we're doing and a lot of my research if you haven't gathered by now really engages patients um we didn't really talk about blockchain but i think um i think um the kind of things that i'm doing we're building apps to engage patients we're um, um asking patients to share their data with us um and you know and so on and so forth so if if um if people want to learn more just go to hadleylab.org 
Awesome. And actually, to end, we have a couple questions. So first question, you were at Stanford, and a listener wanted to know, what did it take to get into Stanford? They have a very selective process when it comes to uh, you know picking their physicians. Uh, what do you think was it for you that set you apart when trying to get into Stanford? Yeah, so this was... Um I went to Stanford for residency, for pathology residency. And, I mean, obviously my background is what got me into Stanford. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of weird. So residency is a, a match, meaning there's so many positions, there's so many applicants, and it's all um, a system, so to speak. So I ranked my sites. I actually thought I was going to go to Harvard. Um, it didn't work out. I knew it didn't work out, and I was very surprised when I got into Stanford. But it did work out in the sense that you know, I ranked Stanford very highly. Stanford thought my computational background was obviously fit with them. And, um, you know, the match works like that. But that's hardly the real world. <laughs> to get into Stanford for a postdoc, or, I mean, is damn near impossible. I agree. <laughs> yeah. And then our last question was also from another listener. And I don't understand what any of this means. So you're going to have to translate it. Yeah. Uh, so what victories in silico drug discovery sorry, in silico yeah has okay so sorry, sorry. what this, this is such a ridiculous question can you read you want me to read it, it? <laughs> I'll read it I'll read it I can do this <laughs> so what victories has in silico drug discovery had in the past 30 years do you see more value in modeling drug interactions genomic interactions like promoter enhancer interactions or potential toxicities would the fda ever benefit from using in silico based data as a surrogate for efficacy, wow, <laughs> efficacy? Wait, who's listening to our podcast if, if yeah, so could they perhaps adopt non-binary approval system yeah See, that was a tough question. So, sorry, sorry. So that's know it's coming. So the first question is, what does in silico mean? So there's um, in biology, I learned about in vitro, in vivo. I don't know if you've heard these terms. The looks there's a blank look on this. Face. Yeah, no, not my thing. <laughs> I've heard in vitro, but not in vitro. So in 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 vitro baby, right? In, in vitro fertilization. So that's in a test tube. In vivo is in a living vivo life, in a living organism. So a mouse is in vivo. So if you put a virus in a mouse and study it, that's in vivo. You put a cell in a test tube and study it, put the virus in there, that's in vitro. In silico is on computer, in silicon. Right? So just on a simulated, let's say, or, or, or digital. Uh, so this guy's asking, um, you remember I was talking about genomics to 3 billion base pairs? Well, think, mm -hmm. how many, think how many interactions among those 3 billion base pairs. There are a ton, hundreds of who knows the number but the numbers are huge so how genes and and, and base pairs and and promoter and, and repressor and stuff so so i think for, for, for the space of genomics and the interactions of genomics is so vast yes in silico approaches and algorithmic um you know computers are going to be huge in genomics should the fda his specific question is should the fda trust this evidence in the future no these are people. I mean, research is one thing, and figuring out how these three billion base pairs work, one, independently, two, in secondary, tertiary, quaternary interactions, is a huge problem. That's why I think genomics is <laughs> a big space, and there's a lot to be learned. Um, but there's no way that I think the FDA should change, essentially change the rules, which are very strict and for good reason, because if you're going to put 
an agent and somebody's body, you better know it's safe, like Tylenol. Like Tylenol mm-hmm. is very safe. You don't need to know how it works, mm-hmm. but it better be damn safe. So you have to demonstrate that in people. Um, I think, you know, he's sort of getting to my point that if we did have a free flow of information, the more people can demonstrate it, the better, right? So 98% of these clinical trials fail in what's called phase three or large multi-scale um, center trials, right? So 98% of the antidepressants fail. You know, so you'd have 4,000 patients all across America and Europe on you know, this treatment, experimental treatment versus the, the standard of care, and the trial fails. Um, I think all that data should be shared. I think people like me should be able to use that data. And imagine if, you know, I can look at a pathology slide today and predict recurrence of cancer. Doctors can't do that, right? So some of the sort of big ideas I'm trying to do in this, in this, um, in this new role where we have access to these, this, this large um, network of, of, of clinical trial data and, 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 and cancer hospitals is to computationally um, predict outcomes of clinical trials. Clinical trials fail because of adverse events, which are rare. If you share the data, rare stuff becomes less rare. You have a lot of examples of rare stuff and you can predict. Clinical trials fail because of efficacy, so predicting if the drug is gonna work in this patient versus not. So imagine if computers can flip the script and you know improve the predictions 10%, 20%, improve your recruitment for your clinical trial 10%, 20%. So, you know, so my point is, Data provenance and data sharing is critical to sort of this idea that in silico is maybe possible in the FDA, maybe, um, but but yeah. So 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 to answer the question, in silico is huge, especially for genomics. In silico is huge for everything else too. So for I look at images, that's where AI is. That's where the power of AI is. In silico is huge for that, and to make that. Um, FDA worthy, we have to have open and transparent data where, you know, there's no, there's a blockchain backend of what true positives are, false positives, true negatives, false negatives, and we're very far away from that. So now the FDA shouldn't change anything <laughs> in the near future. So Matt, Sergio, and myself, we have this look of like, whoa, what the heck was that? <laughs> yeah, I have no you idea asked the question. Hyperdeck. Dexter, thank you for coming on the show, man. I mean, we appreciate you coming out here. Just, you know, I know you're an important guy. And if you come on our show, man, we, we really appreciate it. I felt like I learned a lot. I learned a yeah, ton. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. All right. So we're signing off. Thank you. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Advisory services offered through RMP Advisory Services Incorporated, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. The Free Retiree, RMP Advisory Services, and Securities America are separate entities. Career advisors Sergio Patterson and attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with RMP Advisory Services or the Securities America company. 
Securities America, RMP Advisory Services Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it is important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. All or a portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of a career advisor, Sergio Patterson, do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Incorporated. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.